want you to hit me as hard as you can. Why? How much can you know about yourself if you've never been in a fight? Wait, let me start earlier. Like many of you, I was stuck. You want me to deprioritize my current reports yeah. until you advise them a status upgrade? Make these your primary action items. I couldn't sleep. No, you can't die from insomnia. I'd flip through catalogs and wonder, what kind of dining set defines me as a person? This is your life, and it's ending one minute at a time. I prayed for a different life. Soap. I make and I sell soap. And this is how I met Tyler Durden. Come on, hit me before I lose my nerve. on the tip of everyone's tongue. Can I be next? We just gave it a name. Gentlemen, welcome to Fight Club. First rule of Fight Club is... Wow, nice. You do not talk about Fight Club. Is that your blood? Some of it, yeah. After Fight Club, we all started seeing things differently. You're gonna have to keep me up all night. And she ruined everything. You're not into her, are you? No, God, not at all. We've all been raised on television to believe that one day we'd all be millionaires and movie gods and rock stars, but we won't. He had a plan. <laughs> to what purpose? In Tyler, we trusted. We gotta take a fight club up a notch. Each one of you has a homework assignment. You're gonna start a fight with a total stranger. That's not necessary. You're gonna lose. That hurt. looking for a way to change your life. You got it. I'm stopping this. It's already done. Shut up. What kind of sick game are you playing? Oh, my God. Welcome to the show, everybody. Welcome back. Oh, my goodness. I mean, I feel like this podcast has just turned into the uh, podcast like it's 1999 podcast. Ooh, I love that. Two 99 movies in a row. We d- I did not mean that, but it just sort of... That I it, think it I just think sort of happened. I think it's fine. 99 yeah. was a great year for movies. Well, everybody out there listening, welcome back to the show. My name's Pete. And I'm Scott. And, and these are, are the movies, movies that, that made, made us gay. gay. Welcome back. Indeed. Welcome back. Scott. Very excited to talk about this one. Yes, please. And we have returning guest, old friend of mine, Drew <laughs> Stanley from our Matrix episode. Yes. Welcome back hello. to the show. Hello, hello. And um, you immediately wanted to do Fight Club. As your follow-up, <laughs> yeah. which is, I mean, you were first here for The Matrix. Mm-hmm. Another 99 Released film. Yeah. March of 99, <laughs> and this was released, Fight Club was released October 15th, 1999. Okay. Directed by David Fincher. Right. Our first David Fincher movie. Probably one of the few David Fincher movies that I think can fit <laughs> into the format of our show. <laughs> yeah, that, that makes sense for sure. Yeah, yeah. when you uh, mentioned Fight Club hadn't been done yet, I... Uh, Thought it would be it be a good movie to do just because of the um, the sort of the trolling that happens in it for sure and, and its legacy definitely yes yeah just like your Matrix episode kind of <laughs> yeah bros just sort of latching onto this movie for all of the wrong reasons 
Right, exactly. And having the entire point go over their head and using it for uh, uh, justifying the wrong things. Yep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I didn't even think about that. Yeah. Huh. Good job. You guys, you guys, always thinking, using that noodle. Well, even just yeah. sort of, even when Tyler uses the word snowflake, did that sort of come from this movie? Did, like, Fox News just sort of latch onto that oh, from man. Fight Club? I I definitely noticed that, um, and I don't know if it's just a coincidence that that's now, you know, yeah. obviously a huge trope that we're living with. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, that was one thing that I definitely, uh, when I heard it in the film, I was like, oh, wow. I, I mm-hmm. hear that all the time now. And I obviously, like, back then it was still, you know, a cliche you would use, but... Um, it could be that it came it came from Fight Club and maybe that was one of its little gifts. Yeah, yeah, might mm-hmm. be might be one of the first uses of it for sure. I think the the time span in between the the common usage of it now. But I mean, the you mentioned Drew the legacy or Scott. I don't know which one of you mentioned the legacy of this movie. You know, it's been over twenty years, over twenty mm-hmm. years now, and it has just become this part of popular culture. This part of just like taught in film school. Taught yeah. in, like, film theory classes. Yeah. I remember watching this movie for a film criticism class when we looked at Freud mm-hmm. because it kind of matches up perfect when teaching Freud and cinema, too. Yeah, definitely. And I think also, uh, like we were saying, similar to The Matrix, where it was meant to be a parody and a commentary on, you know, masculinity. And uh, this is also, keep in mind the same, I have this in my mind because I just watched the documentary about Woodstock 99 on HBO Max. Oh, love it. And it's, that is like, you know, totally about how masculinity was sort of taking on a different form at that point in time. And Mm -hmm. uh, I think Fight Club came along at a really appropriate time to make that commentary. But then at the same time, what they were doing went over the heads, I think, of like 90% of the audience, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> unfortunately, because you saw Fight Club posters and, you know, my, I went to undergrad in starting in 2007 and you still saw Fight Club posters in all the people's dorm rooms and stuff. And it wasn't because they were, you know, excited about this film's somewhat deep idea of what, like, you know, masculinity is, but... Uh, it was more of like they just loved the violence. Like the, it's like ultra violence in this movie, um, right. which was, was what made it very controversial too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like, had a Fight Club poster in my bedroom in high school, but I had a Fight Club poster in my bedroom for just because reasons. I just thought that Brad Pitt <laughs> was so handsome and just well, beautiful in this movie, yeah. which oh, we'll yeah. talk about. Yeah, especially the uh, low riding pants where it's. Mm-hmm. Yeah, oh, oh my goodness. goodness. Those, yes. those like cum gutter abs. His shoulders <laughs> are crazy. But also, I was noticing in this viewing, he doesn't really have an ass. No. It, like, Brad Dude, Pitt does not have a butt. You know, we talked about this in our Thelma and Louise episode. For my taste, Brad Pitt, too thin. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think I'm like he, the Dion of like of I'm like mm-hmm. the Dion of you like, like him our big. group. I like him big. Yeah, he's uh, he's so th- he's too lean is my problem with Brad. I Pitt. think that's why he was cast as this role. Is his yeah. his he's like he represent he represents like you know uh, the inner masculinity of the main character, and so right. like mm-hmm. he uh, the idealized he sort of had this himself. right exactly this the like Adonis that, that yeah. you know uh, people worship when they think about like you know stereotypical masculinity so it makes sense but yeah i agree he he I'm, has like mm-hmm. it like almost uh uh 
Oh, it's just unrealistic is how he looks, yeah. for sure. Oh, absolutely yeah. unrealistic. I'm yeah. definitely yeah, yeah. the type of body that a lot of gay men try to obtain. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, I yeah. think before this, like, you know, there's a lot of talk about, you know, um, these days about how male actors in movies, it, even going to, like, TV shows with, like, high school characters, you know, Riverdale and all that. Any guy takes his shirt off, whether he's the hero or a nerd, they are chiseled to shit, just like ripped <laughs> beyond belief. And I feel like you didn't really see a lot of that before this movie. You know, it just kind of like brought this kind of unattainable, you know, kind of form to uh, to how we portrayed like these, these male characters in movies now. But going back to, um, you know, the type of people that would have like a Fight Club poster in the room. I, I was just thinking that, like, it would kind of be a thing if, like, if Michael Scott had to, like, you know, go back to go back to college for, like, to take some courses. He would he would put up a Fight Club poster yeah. in his room, you know, <laughs> next to next to the picture of like Einstein sticking his tongue out. Or and something. those in those two lesbians making out. That was yeah. in a lot yes. of college dorms. Yes. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Yeah, like when you would go to when you would go to like Spencer's or Hot Topic or oh, yes. even like at Target, they had the the you know you could scroll through the posters mm-hmm. and then like Fight Club was always in there. The film trailer for that was always in there for sure. We were just talking about because I found a James Dean framed little postcard that I bought that from a poster sale at. MSU and college poster sales. Do they still do that anymore? <laughs> of like renting out a ballroom and college kids would go oh. buy their Fight Club poster yeah. and like Boondock Saints giant <laughs> like standee. I bet that still sells. Like you got to put something up on totally. those walls, you know? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Boondock Saints. Oh my goodness. I bet if That's you were one. now, yep. you would find a Boondock Saints and you would find a Fight Club for yeah. sure. Totally. Yeah. I have never seen Boondock Saints. Uh, you're not missing I Even I when I was young, either. I was like, no, thank you. Yeah, I'm, I'm good. <laughs> there is Sean no... Patrick Flannery, there... you're cute, but not that cute. <laughs> There's no uh, uh, gay undertones in that movie, I don't think, so you can no, probably no, skip no, that no. one. Yeah. <laughs> so before we get too into it, what are our first memories of when Fight Club first came out? Like, do you remember first watching this movie, Drew? Uh, I actually don't, especially, like, definitely not as much as other 99 movies. And I think a big reason for that is because it was not, it was it was a flop when it came, like, in the box office um, mm-hmm. it didn't do too well. This is, this became kind of a cult classic when it came out on DVD, and a big part of that is probably because uh, DVDs are really huge when this yeah. came out on DVD. Mm-hmm. And so I watched this. Um, my first time watching it, I totally will admit I was just like, I thought it was just so cool because it was just like so uh, uh, scare factor or whatever. Um, uh, and violence and all that. Like, just like, oh, wow, this is like, I could never watch this. My parents will never know, you know. And then uh, I watched it again. I remember watching it, distinctly watching it, like, at a party in undergrad. Uh, and this that would have been, like, you know, 10 years later. And that was when I got the actual message of what they were trying to do in the movie. And it wasn't just about ultraviolence. <laughs> right, right. So I remember my sister's boyfriend, when I was in junior high, rented this movie, and I watched this movie late. Like, on, like, a Saturday night, I was just home alone, and I watched it. And I just remember not really getting it, or, like, wrapping my mind around... How old were you? I was probably, like, 13. Got it. Like, not really, like, 
wrapping my mind around what I I had just seen. And then I remember watching it with a group of high schoolers when I was a freshman. I was invited to, like, the cool kid's house to watch a movie in their basement. Do you remember Bart Smith? (laughs) In high school? You may have been a little too young for, like, Bart Smith. But Bart Smith was super cool. And he had a bunch of his friends over. And I was included. So I felt very honored being, like, the freshman. I got to go over to the (laughs) cool guy's house to watch Fight Club in his basement. Yeah. After a football game. And that's kind of, like... I remember that always sticking out in my mind of, wow, like, I'm, like, really, I'm, like, I'm, I get to go over to, like, the cool high schooler's house and watch Fight Club in their basement. Like, I have truly made it as a freshman (laughs) in, like, in, like, the social circle. And like you said, I remember this DVD being a big deal of that. I remember the packaging for this disc when I worked at the video store. It looked like a cool brown paper bag. That was like tied up. Yeah. And this Blu-ray that we watched last night was one of, I bought this Blu-ray when I bought my Blu-ray player. So it was just sort of a big purchase of I'm upgrading to a Blu-ray player because I have this new flat screen TV. I mean, this flat screen TV would have had to been teeny. But I remember like eight inches thick. I bought this at Walmart when I bought my Blu-ray player. Yeah. So it's kind of like one of those because we're a big like physical media collectors. And this is kind of like a big cornerstone purchase that this is one of my first Blu-rays. Yeah. Especially if just like when DVDs came out, like like, you know, whatever physical video formats come out from Mm -hmm. now on, Fight Club might be just like always part of your library or whatever that format is. Do you remember (laughs) the sizzle reel for Fox DVDs? And it opens up with... I want you to hit me as hard as you can yep. with Brad Pitt. And just seeing that attached to every single DVD yep. that was yep. issued out by Fox at the time. Yep. It had a bit from the X-Men uh, movies. It had a bit from the X-Files movie. The Abyss. The Abyss, yeah. Yep. The Abyss, that's right. Yeah. Talking yeah. about those like Special interactive features. DVD menus. <laughs> I mean, mm-hmm. I still love a good interactive DVD menu. That is a special feature. That CD-ROM nonsense, I still... I oh, yeah. I don't think I ever got that to work. No one did. It was a lie. Mm-hmm. It was all a hoax. Yeah, I think with with Fight Club especially, I was reading. I can't remember where I was reading this uh, a couple nights ago after I watched it. Um, that it does owe its success too to all of the. Yeah. There was tons of like featurettes and behind yeah. the scenes stuff, and I think commentary. I think there was a commentary on it too. It there's like three release. commentaries on it. There's oh, okay. the one yeah. with on the Blu-ray. There's right. the one with the actors and David Fincher. There's David Fincher and Chuck Palahniuk, and then all the producers did one. Oh, Chuck mm-hmm. Palahniuk did one as well. Okay. I think so. Yeah. Okay. Oh, that's one thing to mention too is that Chuck Palahniuk uh, is gay and is a queer author. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And of course, that's what this movie mm-hmm. is based off of, yep. his novel. Yeah. I saw this movie in the theater. Mm-hmm. I was in college. And I saw it in the theater with my friends. And it was, uh, I do remember that, yeah, October sounds right because it was cold mm-hmm. when we got out of the movie theater. And uh, I remember one of the first things I told to my friends, uh, Damien, that I was with at the time, I was like, man, I need a cigarette. Uh, and we, we, I mean, we were, we were cool college kids at the time. Smoke like chimneys. Was it those beautiful shots of Helena smoking? Yes, of mm-hmm. course. I was just like, <laughs> I need to smoke about an entire pack of cigarettes on our way home. Um, being very intrigued by it, you know, uh, Jared Leto, I was fascinated with, uh, at the time just because I, 
watched my so-called life when it aired, you know, mm-hmm. um, I'm about, he's probably a few years older than you, no, but he's, but he's about, close. he's about five years mm-hmm. older than me, Yeah, but he was playing high school at the time. And, you know, my so-called life was a fucking revelation yeah. at that time. Right. And it had a gay character and not only was he gay, but he was like, he's like Afro Latino and like, you know, um, it gave us fucking Jared Leto yeah. in that face, man. Mm-hmm. You know? And for a teenager, I was just like this guy, that I, angel face. I and his name be, is angel in the movie angel face. Yep. I will be, oh, right. I will yeah. be watching him with uh, great, uh, you know, intrigue his, the rest of his career. And, you know, um, yeah, the violence was something that I, it took me a while to like wrap my head around. I didn't have that immediate like, oh, I don't like it because it's too violent. But I did also have this like, well, I don't know if I need to see that again for a while. And yeah, yeah and I don't know that I did, but I do remember renting it because as we were watching some of the special features, I specifically remember things Helena Bottom Carter would say in the interviews. I was like, oh, I remember this. Like, I watched all of this. Because mm-hmm. I, I don't think I own it on DVD. I don't think I bought it. No. But, uh, I didn't I def- either, yeah. Yeah, but I definitely rented it and probably rented it a few times just to get through all the special features. Um, because I did remember a lot of a lot of things. Nowadays, I have not issues with, but, I mean, Ed Norton. <laughs> uh, great actor. But, like, listen to those commentaries. He, com- like, he kind of comes right, with a big down. bag of bullshit with him. Oh, uh, in, in the commentary. In life. I just feel oh, like he's very... <laughs> yeah, just in general. I think he's just so, like, just self-important and, like, I don't he know. He kind of... even blowhard. Well, especially at this time in the late 90s, still kind of had this chip on his shoulder that he got his first Oscar nomination for his first movie. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's true. It was American History X before or after this movie? It was before. Before, mm-hmm. before. Yeah. okay. Because yeah, yeah, yeah. his big breakout role was Primal Fear. And I Primal think that Fear, he had yeah. just come from the stage. And that was like right. a big deal. It's like, who is this man? And gets a nomination for Best Supporting Actor. And that's the yeah. first movie he's ever done. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I definitely think... I, I I do like him in this movie. Um, I... And I also will say I do think he's like hot in his own right in this movie, but I understand that for sure. There's there's an air there's an air about him. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But you know something else that this movie kind of gifted unto like you know popular culture or whatever. I think Helena Bonham Carter is just kind of like yeah, yeah. Another fact, just iconic, iconic, image iconic. Yeah, totally. Yeah. This this was like my introduction to Helena Bonham Carter. Yeah. I when I first watched Fight Club, that was the first movie I'd seen that I can remember anyway with her in it. Yeah. And yeah, she just I, she's like like probably my favorite character in this movie, and probably like you know she was created by. I feel like she just like was created for gay men. <laughs> yeah. I'm trying to see if this was before or after Merlin, because I'm trying this to was, remember. This was the year after Merlin. Merlin after. came out in 98. So that might have been the only okay. thing that I had ever seen her in, like the television hallmark production of, of Merlin well, with Sam Neill. Because I wasn't watching Wings of the Dove 
You know. Well, I was going to say, I knew of the movie Wings of the Dove, and I think that I had actually seen Wings of the Dove prior to this movie that yeah. my mom had just rented. Yeah. Like, what was 12-year-old Scott doing watching Wings with the Dove? But, I mean, right. I had to pop that VHS in. Yeah. But, yeah, she made that Best Actress lineup in 97. Yeah. So she was definitely someone that was crossing over to American audiences. I mean, she had worked since the 80s, and she had yes. a very public affair with Kenneth Branagh that sort of broke up him and Emma Thompson. So she yeah. had this reputation, but I don't think that she was ever in something contemporary. So this was very out-of-the-box casting And that when you sort of read on IMDb the actresses that they went through to get to Helena Bonham Carter, David Fincher mentions that he point-blank offered this role to Jean Garofalo, and she was a little turned off by all of the sex content of it. So she said no. And I think that it's later been revealed that Edward Norton sort of vetoed Janine also. See, fuck that. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, why? I mean, who knows? But, like, that's, that's yeah. I, I, think, I think to me, Edward Norton was probably of the mindset of she's a, com- she's a comedian. She's yeah. not an actor. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's a stand-up yeah. comic, you know? And this movie needs actors. I mean, that's just not... That yeah. <laughs> and I would imagine that someone like Winona Ryder was probably discussed as oh, Marla, yeah, yeah. too. Mm-hmm. I can see that, for sure, yeah. Which, I could see this role with either Winona or Janine. I think yeah. that it would have yeah. worked, but Helena is just so fucking yeah. incredible in this role. Definitely. I mean, she was. it was just perfect for her to be cast. Like I, All of her other characters after that, like that you see, yeah. she's always this sort of dark brooding mysterious woman and and it, she just plays it perfectly for sure this is how i met marla singer marla's philosophy of life was that she might die at any moment the tragedy she said was that she didn't doesn't have your name who are you Cornelius, rupert rabbit any of the stupid names you give each night um she also, like, obviously she became kind of a Tim Burton character for a long time, like yeah. in every single yeah. one of his movies for a long time. But then like her character in um, the Harry Potter movies, mm. uh, Bellatrix Lestrange, yeah. she does a perfect job with, and it, she's very similar in those movies to her character here in Fight Club. Yeah. yeah, and I think she, we, you know, owe so much of Marla's visual look, her styling to her. Like mm-hmm. so much of that is just like, I want my makeup to look this way. You know, my my hair is just crazy and wild, and that's just all her. I think something to me that stood out from this character, um, like her wardrobe was so great. It was just so kooky and these like fur coats and like all this crazy stuff and the bridesmaid's dress and all that. But she always wore these platforms, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I just, I mean, that was functional because she's so much shorter than Brad Pitt and... Edward Norton. She had to somewhat be at eye level right. with them. But yeah. it also just kind of, like, it speaks a lot to this character. Like, I, you just, oh, yeah, Marla's just wearing these chunky platform boots and, you know, walking around town looking like a crazy person. Stealing people's yeah. Levi's. <laughs> mm-hmm. I love that scene. Yeah. So, you know, the, this this movie is on the surface level. It is so very much like, you know, hetero and, like, bro, this and that. But, you know... The Marla character is just that. She's that female character that we, you know, as the gays, like, can latch on to. She's, mm-hmm. she's funny, you know? Yeah. yeah. Everything yeah. out of her mouth that she says is, it's all dark. It's all super dark. It's super, you know, heavy. But, it, you know, she, like, 
tries to commit suicide. We don't know if this is real or if this is just, you know, an act or whatever. But like all these lines are so dark, but she just delivers them in this immediately hilarious way, mm-hmm. you know, and you're just like, I want to be her. <laughs> and she gets railed by Brad Pitt for like yeah. half the movies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, when I when I rewatched this this week, I was like, she is giving such hard like drag queen in a gay horror yes. movie energy in this movie. Like, yeah. that's exactly Absolutely. the the like vibe that she has in this. Which is yeah, it, she was absolutely just written as I think as like a, a character that a gay man would would just love yeah. for sure. Yes. Yeah, and the character never comes off as too one dimensional for such kind of this very broad character type. It could be very one note of how an actress could play it. She's not playing it too deadpan. Like, there's an interesting range with how she plays Marla. I love the looks that she gives Ed Norton when Mm -hmm. clearly she's, like... Yeah. She's kind of getting it, like, oh, you're fucked in the head. Like, what is wrong with you? When she's in the kitchen, that he's not really recognizing that they just had this night together, and just sort of the looks that Helena gives him... I think she's so good in those scenes. Yeah, those are definitely... Yeah, though that scene uh, you just mentioned where they're in the kitchen, like, you, that was the kind of the first moment you get... Uh, well, the first indication you get of, like, what the whole plot of the movie is as far as, like, his relationship with Edward Norton and, and uh, Brad Pitt. But also, uh, her looks are what give her the sort of depth in her character that that you wouldn't get otherwise, I don't think. She has... Her facial expressions just show that she has, like... Yeah. Like huge rage and like mm-hmm. big sadness for sure. There's a lot of depth in her character. I feel like I feel like Winona could have could have done it. Yeah. Um oh, yeah. but like I'm trying to think of anybody else that I would have been like, oh yeah, that she would have been great, but like I don't know if Courtney Love quite has the range to pull off, you <laughs> yeah. know, something, you know, something like that. That's where that's where you need an quote unquote actress. Courtney Love is a mm-hmm. great actress when she's like really suited for the role of like the people versus Larry Flint, but I don't yeah. know if she would have been maybe, as successful. Maybe Marla's too on the nose. With something like Marla, I don't know. Yeah, especially at that point in time, I think Courtney Love yes. would have it would have been too it would, yeah, you're right. On the nose, absolutely, is exactly what it would yeah. be, would have been for sure. Yeah. So okay, so Marla is definitely you know kind of uh, uh, a key in for like gays to like to love this movie, but um, I mean we of course have to talk about Tyler Durden, the body, <laughs> the body, 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 body. Yes. You and know, I think just the just the name Tyler Durden. It's like you if you meet any if you meet any guy and he's got a screen name a password uh email address with tyler durden run anything, away run turn around yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah he also probably thinks these are really like a huge film savant like yes. please go <laughs> get out yeah, yeah. <laughs> turn around <laughs> yeah but we can like this movie <laughs> yes well we're being critical yeah, yeah. well <laughs> i was telling pete last night that Prior to this movie, in the late 90s, Brad Pitt was in a lot of really terrible movies. That I think that he was really lucky that David Fincher offered him this role. Because he was in, like, crap like The Devil's Own, Meet Joe Black, Seven Years in Tibet, like a lot of duds. That I don't know if his career would have had the momentum to go further had it not been a role like Tyler Durden, too. Yeah, and a, a role that was, like, really controversial. Like, mm-hmm. um, I mean, I, I think it obviously put him on the map in, in a good way and, like, it was good for his career, but um, I 
it suited him really well. Like he 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 does a great job as Tyler Durden mm-hmm. for sure. Yeah. Well, I mean, when you have like Roe and like the Million Moms, yeah, like, <laughs> boycotting this movie. I remember watching Rosie at the time and Rosie saying on air. I don't remember her giving away the ending on air, but I remember her saying how she hated the movie and how disturbed she was by it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they mentioned on the commentary that I think that they must have done the commentary pretty close to the release of the movie because they talk about Rosie and Brad's yeah. just like he's mad. Brad is pissed that Rosie <laughs> told the ending of this movie of just like how do you like that? Oh, she spoiled it before she the movie spoiled came it out. on air before oh, the movie. Yeah, or maybe no like the, the the weekend of the premiere. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I had no idea. Yeah, pretty rough. Pretty rough. Yeah, I mean, I, I kind of, uh, I guess, well, at that point in time, nobody had seen it, so it's hard to say, like, I guess they, they also maybe didn't understand the commentary True. about it, too. I mean, mm-hmm. the the violence in general, like, you shouldn't show it to kids, but, like, yeah. the entire point of the film is about, like, it's it's a parody of, like, toxic masculinity. Yeah, how it, right. How it starts to infect all the world, and they start to do all these crazy things out in public, and they're blowing shit up and all that. Like, I, that's just, I feel like it's, like, very obvious when I watch it now, but maybe it wasn't back then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, well, you know what, though? This is 1999. This is, like, pre-9-11. Like, we yeah. were just running through the world with, like, rose-colored glasses. You also, know? Like, also, everything was fine and dandy. Also, yeah. kind of questioning movie violence, because Columbine happened in, like, April of 99. Yeah. So it's yeah. still kind of, there was some fallout in the movies with violence for stuff like that, mm-hmm. too. Yeah, definitely. That's true. I... I Columbine for sure. We talked about that in the Matrix episode, and that yeah. really affected the Matrix too, like how that when that was released. Um, yeah, I think this is also a time where I mean, there's never really a time where satanic panics are low in the United States. Right. This is this is a time where it was like very <laughs> anything in film that showed violence or video games like mm-hmm. immediately became this thing that was going to destroy society. And Fight Club got that a lot for sure. Yeah, yeah. So, but I mean, it did wonders for Brad's career for sure. Um, All of them, really. Also, kind of the height of Brad and Jen, because she shaved his head. I remember reading that in Best Movie Year Ever that Jen <laughs> shaved his head for the movie. Oh, specifically for Fight Club. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, that makes sense. Yeah, she has an eye. So, <laughs> I remember being in the theater and watching this movie and just thinking, I, you know, very familiar with Brad Pitt. Interview with a Vampire, like I'd been there since since the beginning, um, and yeah, like obviously he's like gorgeous, right? Mm-hmm. But I'm just watching it, going, this these clothes are so amazing. All the shit that they dress him in in this movie is amazing, and that's one of those things that do straight men think about stuff like that, or was it just us? Well, gay I, guys thinking that. I think there was probably there was a huge uptick in straight guys wearing like Starsky and Hutch like leather jackets. Mm-hmm. Like that was just and I had a leather jacket like that. Scott, you've worn it several mm-hmm. times. I've got this I vintage, can barely fit into it these neither days. Neither of us can fit yep. into it. It's so tiny. But I have this vintage leather jacket. It's like this brown almost like an oxblood color and I wore it everywhere and you know this movie comes out and there he is wearing these like leather jackets, plaid pants which I wore a lot in college and high school. <laughs> I was that like weird kid that like wore plaid pants and like, you know, 
gay, t-shirts gay, gay, that gay, were kind of small. Gay, 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 gay. <laughs> you know? Um, if you could just find a mesh hustler t-shirt I mean, at, out of, at out of the closet in the late 90s. So I thought that a lot of his, that most of his wardrobe was sourced, right? Just vintage clothes. Mm-hmm. But those t-shirts. I think that they're custom. Yeah. Those yeah. t-shirts have to be custom. Yeah. Yeah. And I, th- I think also, uh, as far as like just the general wacky style of him in this movie, yeah. I think that they did it because he's, he's also supposed to be just like kind of a nihilist. Right. Like you just, you're, you've completely lost, uh, all feeling and care for anything in the world, nothing matters. Mm-hmm. And so it's just sort of this sort of clown aesthetic they're trying to yeah. give to him. Mm-hmm. Just like, I'll wear whatever, who cares? Like I'll wear, a, he, I think he wears a boa, like almost at one point. It's, it's like, it's like a feather vest mm-hmm. almost. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it, I think that's kind of what they were going for is that mm-hmm. he's just supposed to be this whack job, basically. Right. Yeah. And then there are those scenes, you know, before we kind of find out the big twist ending of the narrator. Are we calling him Jack? Jack narrator, I don't know. Are we calling him? Yeah, because he, re- he refers to himself as Jack a couple of times where he says, I am Jack's, you know. Yeah, when he's, reading, when he's reading those, you know. Or, has that those... been kind of a fan theory yeah, of that his name is Jack? I, just sort I think of adopting that it, it from that. that that's yeah. kind of what I always get from it. But yeah, his, yeah. his character, like, in the credits and everything is, is just the narrator. The narrator. Is, is, yeah, yeah. So, you know, when the narrator and Tyler are living together... In the house on Paper Street, and it's just their little wacky adventures mm-hmm. in like the second act. It's the it's the cute couple scenes. I love them. Yeah, no, they're great scenes. Yeah. You know, and there's scene. You know, he's like riding around on that bike, and he doesn't have any pants or underwear on. Yeah, he's fully Winnie the Pooh in it. Because when he falls off, when he crashes the bike and falls off, you fully just see his ass. Right? I would imagine that they probably uh, yeah. put Brad in a thong just to just to like. Protect those goods. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> but it's it's one of those things where it's like, yeah, now, you know, 20 years. I mean, we're, we're fully saying what the ending is. Tyler, Tyler Durden doesn't exist, right? Mm-hmm. Now that we know this, it's like it's not homoerotic because it's himself. But it's like when you see this movie and you see these two characters that are just like friends or best friends or whatever. And they're, you know, just living this life just so close to each other and taking a bath and just being in the same room when one's taking a bath and all that stuff, mm-hmm. you as like this gay kid, I don't know, that's something that you immediately latch onto and you're like, oh my god. Yeah. This is this yeah. is intriguing. I think it's an inner war that every like, you know, he- a cisgender boy goes through. Like, yeah. well, not even just cisgender too. And yeah. when they are growing up, especially if you're dealing with like confusion around your sexuality, um, or not confusion, if you know that you're gay but you don't yeah. want to come out yet, like this is an inner war that everybody has with their masculinity, and and I, it, in particular, in the movie, it's about like, you know, Edward Norton or the narrator or Jack or whatever. He's having this this sort of like crisis where you know, capitalism is sucked him dry. He has no emotion left. He's like he hates his job. He hates his life. He's obsessed with IKEA furniture. There's that scene where they're like, <laughs> it's like an IKEA ad of his apartment, where all the 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 like information of the furniture is popping up. Yeah. And Edward Norton represents, you know, his his masculinity trying to come out so he can go and, like, be, like, who he's always been, which is, like, a tough man. But I think he also represents this sort of ho- very homoerotic uh, undertone within him that a lot of a lot of street men deal with, uh, not even when yeah. they're young, like, throughout their entire mm-hmm. life. And the whole fight club in general is, is that. Like, it's very homoerotic. They're required to have their shirts off and they're 
wrestling around and beating each other up. And mm-hmm. even yeah. though it's super violent, it's very homoerotic. Oh, for yeah, sure. totally. I mean, it's kind of a return to just like ancient Rome or Greece <laughs> of yeah, just like guys, yeah. guys like wrestling each other naked. <laughs> yeah, like just reverting to like their like basic like reptilian part of their brains. <laughs> like, you know. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I do. Uh, I like that you pointed out this the scene where it's you know the camera's panning through his apartment and it becomes this catalog of everything popping up, you know. And in '99, David Fincher directing this movie. I mean, he had already done seven. Yep. At this point, um, but a lot of things that he's done in this movie were kind of revolutionary at the time. And now they're mm-hmm. still cool and really interesting to look at and all that. But a lot of things were just kind of like taken and done to death with like the opening credit sequence. Yeah. I was like, <laughs> yeah. oh, is it, what are we watching? X-Men? Kind like, of ripped off yeah, by Brian Singer a year like. later in a movie like the X- like X-Men. Yeah. 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 It totally feels like X-Men or like any sort of like comic or Marvel movie. Yes, any yeah, superhero this, movie from the yeah, early 2000s. Somebody in this movie is going to have a superpower, you know? Yes. That's exactly what it feels like. Yeah. yeah. Or just constructing a whole scene in a computer. Yeah. That when you mm-hmm. go through his mm-hmm. house and you're going through all of the cords of his little condo blowing up, yeah. that's all done in a computer. And at the time, you didn't really see that. Yeah. Or a whole scene constructed around that. Yeah, that was pretty. It was pretty groundbreaking. You know, like '99, of course, again, movie of groundbreaking uh, uh, special effects elements. Yeah. But those, the opening credits, and yeah, that scene where it's his apartment blowing up. It's going through like two seconds. You know, where like the, I think the the refrigerator kicking on is finally what makes mm-hmm. the spark that makes the propane blow up or whatever. Yeah. Um. Yeah, that, that's a really cool scene. Even now, it looks really cool. Yeah. Yeah. And, or when yeah, the, the and- plane blows up too, when it's. He's in the plane and it crashes, or it blows up midair, and like uh, that scene looks real. <laughs> yeah, it looks amazing, and it's like yeah. how many five, six years later they're doing that on a TV show, you know, yeah. Lost, yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. And um, but yeah, the even even the the IKEA catalog scene, I feel like there's something very similar in like in Scott Pilgrim that I completely spaced mm-hmm. on, and as I was watching it, I was like, oh, that's kind of from that. So it's like. You know, this movie kind of was groundbreaking and revolutionary for a lot of reasons, not just the subject matter, but also the way it was, like, produced and directed and all of that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I do kind of – I don't know. I, I, I get the idea of, like, you know, consumerism and, and all of that. I, I also get that it is definitely, like, satire. I'm just watching it going – I don't even know if this character would have bought the yin yang coffee table. <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> that shit is ugly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't think this guy would have bought that. <laughs> yeah, looking at the like, the, they were stereotyping what, you know, like yuppie furniture yeah. looked like mm-hmm. at that time. I was just yeah. like, oh man. Like, yeah. I mean, some of it I would buy maybe, but most of it is. Like, and, yeah. no, and then, too, the thing is, like, I feel like I remember at the time going, like, wow, that's a really nice apartment. Oh, right, yeah, just yeah. like it's just like it just looks kind of it just looks kind of cheap now. Yeah, right. like, like all yeah. of that, all of that co- sort of assembly line IKEA yeah. furniture. Totally. Yeah, I mean, it, yeah, it's 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 also yeah, it's supposed to look like an IKEA catalog. Like mm-hmm. IKEA literally went in there and set up a showroom, and that was what the you know. yeah yeah. <laughs> um, they talk about in the best movie year ever chapter. David Fincher talks about how just sort of shocked he was that he was employable after this movie <laughs> because he talked about how just livid studio execs were at Fox. Mm-hmm. Over all of those 
scenes critiquing capitalism, consumerism, because you know who likes money? is movie executives. And and that's a big part of the reason why they didn't properly advertise this movie, just because they're like, it's a flop. We don't even want to spend any more money on this movie. Yeah. So they that's just wild. sort of like hung it out the dry. But just everybody in Los Angeles was just pissed at this movie that worked in the industry. Oh, my God. Mm-hmm. It, it's like, I like how that element of it is what made them pissed off. It wasn't like... You know the like misogyny or like the graphic right. violence of, of Brad Pitt like spitting blood in the in the like person's face who owns the basement <laughs> they're fighting in and stuff like yeah. that wasn't enough. It was the critique of capitalism, and that's that yeah. kind of how they off. tried to sell the movie. Was they wanted to make it look like a boxing movie or like a movie yeah. about fighting? Right, right. Mm-hmm. But they were like, how, how dare you include Krispy Kreme? <laughs> are like <laughs> putting a baseball bat to like the VW Beetle. Yeah, yeah. Or like I mean, maybe I shouldn't like the the end about the credit card stuff. Like that's the yeah. whole the whole like culmination of the movie. Yeah. You know? Yeah, totally. <laughs> I mean, kind of the sad reality is with the movie industry now, I don't think a company like Fox makes a movie like this. It's the companies like Neon and A twenty four would be making yeah. a movie like this and you would just cut that budget like seventy five percent of it off. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. No CGI. Yeah. yeah. No IP um, in those movies. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, okay. We should talk about the narrator and his, this, I don't even know. Like, he's got insomnia. He can't sleep. You know, he starts going to these uh, meetings, right? These like um they're not they're kind of twelve step meetings but they're support groups yeah yeah for like the first one where like where he meets Marla is a, is mm-hmm. a cancer I think it's like a male breast cancer support group yeah yeah and they're it's testicular cancer oh testicular yeah. cancer that's yeah. right that's right yeah, yeah and they're almost like parodies of support groups like oh, this isn't sure. really like they're not going for realism with any of this too no no yeah, yeah. it's yeah. very heightened well because the whole thing about the testicular cancer support group is that these men are like weeping. They're so broken. They're so just broken because they don't have their balls. Because they've lost one or both right. ball. Yeah. And it's like, just put the silicone damn marble in there and get to stepping, dude. You're alive. Yeah. Like yeah. you know. I mean, yeah. That, that whole thing is meant to be another yeah. part of this whole parody. Of like, I mean, I would be uh, very upset if if one or both of my balls was lost to testicular cancer. Same. Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah. And it's and it is a, a common killer of men for sure. Yeah. But but, but uh, if I live through it. <laughs> right, of course, yeah, yeah, but this, yeah, that whole um, trope is supposed to be like another part of the parody of like yeah. he's gone to this to this support group to to like maybe feel like more of a man because these these other men have completely lost their manhood, like literally yeah. and figuratively. You know? Yeah, I think my favorite uh, parts of Ed Norton's acting in this is are his early scenes with Marla. Yeah. Where he's like bargaining with her about like, you know, you take this day and I'll take this day because I need these groups and all that. And when he's just like, ooh, this bitch, like I hate her. She's a tourist, all that. <laughs> Which one do they really want? Is it the TB one? Yeah. Like yeah, she's on her homework. Yes. Yeah. yes, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Those are really funny scenes with her. Like his whole, his delivery is great. I love those scenes because they shot in downtown LA and I'm just like, I wonder, yeah. wonder what street this is. Is that Broadway? Yeah. It's like I'm just trying to like look around to see if I can see any street signs. Oh, that's cool. I didn't realize that because yeah. I know it's the all, movie's it's supposed all shot to, downtown. It's supposed to take, take place in New York, right? 
Well, that's the thing that I was going to bring up. You know, like Seven is not specifically set anywhere, right? Oh, okay. Yeah, it's yeah, not yeah. stated anywhere, and it's specifically ambiguous. I think they're mm-hmm. sort of doing a similar thing in this movie. And I think they're trying to do something like that yeah, in this yeah, movie, I where you can that. just say, this is New York, this is L.A., whatever. Although what I did notice in the final shot when we just watched it is that as the buildings are going down, in the far distance is downtown Los Angeles. Okay. Oh, uh, yeah. Well, yeah, and it's it's also... There's no water, which in New York you would see, like the, yes. the city would end very quickly in the right, background right, right. for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that that makes sense. It could be all yeah. LA. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, and I did notice a lot of the the downtown locations when we're watching it again. Um, but yeah, the I th- I think it's supposed to be intentionally vague or whatever. Mm-hmm. But that's just another kind of like Fincher kind of like I don't know. I think that's kind of cool. Right? Tyler's yeah. house yeah, yeah. looks like it belongs in. Uh, like the urban decay of Detroit or something. Yeah, and in fact, I think Tyler's house. When I when every scene in that, like you rarely see like uh, an establishing shot of that house. Like you see like two the entire time. Yeah. It's it's almost like supposed to represent the narrator's like mind. I think just this deteriorating, it's falling yeah. apart, and he's he's in that house with Marla and Tyler Durden, and he's dealing with like his inner demons in that house, you mm-hmm. know? But this like Adam's family, like house, like you said, when they show <laughs> establishing yeah. shots of it, it's just sitting there like in this desolate, like wasteland. And I'm just thinking, how are these idiots? Well, this one idiot, not just getting like black lung, you know, there's like mold in these walls. Yeah. Like he's getting like, you know, World War Two, World War One. Are you like, going to fall through the floor, money pit style, yeah. if you walk across the living room? Yeah, upstairs yeah, for sure. Yeah, it looks. He's it also that, just like, looks like foot rot. <laughs> <laughs> it looks like it's just next to like a super fun site. You know, like uh, it's it. Uh, you 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 rarely see again like the the outside of it. When you do, yeah, mm-hmm. it's it's been abandoned for years. It looks like. For yeah, sure. I do like the idea though that the inside of it is very much like like his mind you know and like the because you know when we see those rooms where he's sitting in with the stacks of books and these like handwritten tomes that he's reading about you know first person point of view or third person of the person's uh organs and all that it's like do we see that room again with all those books everywhere and it's like this kind of um fanciful like you know interpretation of of what's going on in his crazy brain or whatever yeah Um, yeah Mm-hmm. I like that. And it doesn't get too literal that it really hits you over the head with it, Yeah. too. No, I think it's extremely mm-hmm. subtle because it still gives you these establishing, like, this is in a city somewhere. There is a street in the front of the house. Like, there's, mm-hmm. like, mm-hmm. it looks like warehouses across the street at one point. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you're inside of it, you know, it's just... And Marla's constantly coming and going, too. Um, as yeah. is Tyler, I guess. So, yeah, I, I think it... it I think that was intentional, uh, but it could just be being more interpretive than anything else. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I want to talk a little bit about the bar where they initially set up the fight club. Oh, yeah. Um, Oh, yeah. Because this location is crazy as well. Is it the same bar that they meet for the pitchers of beer to start out with? I think it's supposed to be, Is it the same bar? Okay. Yeah. Yeah, because it's right. You can see the freeway, like, overpass in the distance. Mm -hmm. And, yeah... uh, I, I don't know what kind. Of, 
<laughs> it must be just out in the middle of nowhere. These people are just like beating the shit out of each other in the parking lot. And like, no, like bartenders coming out with like a shotgun, yeah. like, get the hell out of here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. If it's in LA, like it's definitely someplace like far in the outskirts. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Just very industrial. There's big industrial parts of the city that there could just be like a shitty piece of shit like <laughs> you know uh honky tonk by the railroad demolish. track yeah right. the same people there every day yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but i don't know those kind of places if you did get into a fight out front somebody would come out with a shotgun or uh mm-hmm. or they would just call their like local street gang to come and like get you the hell out of there the local but, fight um, club yeah exactly yeah, there you go <laughs> <laughs> but um yeah the i think the just the 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 look of it the aesthetic like yeah it just i don't know i feel like you didn't really see a lot of things like that you know in in movies up until that point so mm-hmm. just this kind of like dark and grimy but just like i don't know the cool neon the there's a neon sign above the door yeah mm-hmm. and it's pink it's pink mm-hmm. neon right yeah. and it's like this bar would not have pink neon but yeah. it just it just looks cool right so when part of the movie's like uh, title like the cover of the movie it has like the pink bar of soap. Uh, I think the lettering yeah. is always pink in that movie too. Yeah. <laughs> so okay, I do want to talk about the artisanal soaps that yes. Tyler, <laughs> uh, that Tyler selling so selling selling to department stores. Yeah, mm-hmm. and it's made out of human fat that they that they steal from the like. Well, first of all the. A liposuction clinic or any other medical clinic would never just throw things into a dumpster. In a dumpster, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Even if it go, says medical waste. No. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But that. Yeah. That part. I mean, I think it's like obviously like a very another big critique of capitalism yeah. and, and yeah. rich people like getting their fat sucked out or whatever, and then they make soap out of it so they can rub it on their skin. Mm-hmm. But it's just so gross. Yeah. <laughs> But I love this life that Tyler is leading, that he's, like, a pre-Etsy, like, soap dealer with, like, his cute little briefcase of these, like, artisanal soaps that he sells the, to, like, department stores. And I like how they, they also gave him, like, like, we need to make a way that Tyler Durden's making money because we can't make people believe that he's just living for free in this broken-down house. I mean, he, gonna, yeah. he has, like, three thing. jobs. Yeah, 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 exactly, yeah. And yeah. then also... Uh, the narrator has his job too. That's well, they're both the same person, I guess. So it's yeah, yeah. But <laughs> <laughs> and they justify it that Ed Norton Jacker narrator can't sleep, so he's getting these jobs as a waiter, as a projectionist, and he makes soap just yeah. because he can't sleep. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh my mm-hmm. goodness. Well, I mean, yeah, this character. I mean, he he caught on to this like. This like artisanal, you know, beauty business before like Doctor Squatch and like it could it could <laughs> make its way into like your Instagram algorithm as like a paid sponsor. Yeah, he got it on the ground floor for sure. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. How many of us are using soap right now that's made from from human fat that I they mean, got from the And if you mention it one time to your partner, you're definitely going to see Tyler's soap show up in your Instagram feed. Oh yeah, we're all going to have ads. <laughs> we're all going to have ads after this for sure. Oh man. <laughs> They're going to be Paper, everywhere. Paper Street Soap Company. <laughs> that uh that kind of shot of the soap like hitting the like yeah. little soap dish thing. Mm-hmm. Very cool. It is cool. That's yeah. that's yeah. some good mm-hmm. that's yeah. some good marketing right there. 
yeah. know, like pink bar of soap with like the stamp in it. Like, yeah. I like the publicity still of just Brad Pitt showcasing off the bar of soap. And like department stores. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, okay. So Drew, did you read the book? I have not read the book now. In fact, I, I don't think I've ever read any Chuck Palahniuk uh, that I can th- Yeah, I don't think I have. Yeah, I, I've I read- thought you were going to say, I've never read a book. I've never uh, read yeah. a book. <laughs> I, don't work, I don't read books, yeah. <laughs> I'd rather just see the movie. I have read Choke by Chuck Palahniuk. That is the okay. only yeah. one that I've read by him. I, uh, I read Fight Club, but like 20 years ago. Right, right, yeah. yeah. I think Chuck Palahniuk, uh, back in the 1990s slash early 2000s, was also... Uh, it was a stereotype that, like, people who were, like, considered themselves to be, like, literary but weren't mm. actually, like, they loved yeah. Chuck Palahniuk. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> Much like when they're, like, high, they, people that, who think they're, like, film buffs but they really aren't actually, like, loved Fight Club. <laughs> right, <laughs> <You know>? right. <laughs> uh, what, the only thing that I remember from the book, like, literally the only thing, is uh, when the narrator meets Tyler, they're alone on a beach and... Tyler is naked and he's building something out of like driftwood on the beach. And like what he, it's like this art thing. And then the, the shadow of it makes like the shape of like a hand. And I think it's supposed to be like a, he says he's building a sundial, but then when he's done, they both look on the sand and it makes a shadow of like, like a hand, like reaching out or something, and it like describes him like being like just fully naked, and the narrator just being like, "Oh, you're not wearing any clothes." Um, yeah, and that's it. They that's should have I kept remember. that in the movie. Yeah, why did they leave that out? <laughs> that yeah. should have been Brad Pitt's introduction. Is Brad Pitt naked? <laughs> Maybe there's going to be like a long held out director's cut that we're going to get here go. in a few years. <laughs> there you go. I like it. Special edition. That said, I do think that the scene where he meets Brad as the single serving friend sitting next to him in the plane is successful, though. I do love that scene. That is a great scene, for sure. Yeah. 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 That, that, that is a, it also really just establishes him as just being... He just does not care about anything. What do you do? What do you mean? <laughs> what do you do for a living? Why? So you can pretend like you're interested. <laughs> okay. You have a kind of sick desperation in your life. We have the exact same briefcase. Soap. Sorry? I make and I sell soap. The yardstick of civilization. And this is how I met Tyler Durden. Yeah, um, but the, again, that's something that if I'm on a plane and the person next to me starts saying all this stuff about consumerism and I'm ox- putting in my, I'm, gonna, I'm just that. gonna, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna put in my music. Yeah. Oh, thanks. That's very <laughs> interesting. I've got to finish this. Uh, yeah. I've got. I really have to watch Bridesmaids. I'm writing a report on it, so <laughs> yeah. I'm gonna go back to my movie. I also wondered in that scene, too, when he says the thing about how oxygen makes you high so that you'll be all high for when the plane crashes. Yeah. That is, that is a a uh, pervasive thing that people say. Like, they yeah. still say it to this day. They think that that's actually what it's for. When it's yeah. it's not, when the cabin depressurizes, you need oxygen because there's no yeah. oxygen up in the You're, like, way up in the sky. Yeah. But people, people say that all the time, and I think it totally just comes from this movie. Oh, it has to. It I sort mean, of created <laughs> this urban legend. 
of plane yeah, crashes. Yeah. Sure. Right. Well, exactly. that that kind of brings up another point. You know, there are several times in this movie where Tyler explicitly gives you the recipe for dynamite, nitroglycerin, yeah, C4, yeah. all this stuff. And it's like, I don't know that that's correct. Yeah, well, I, I would hope it's not correct. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> but, like, how many people are mixing equal parts, like, orange juice concentrate and, like, you know, ammonia right. or whatever, and, like, right. nothing happens? <laughs> yeah, I would I would hope they didn't just give away that recipe in yeah. a movie. Especially a movie, like, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think they specifically, you know, were like, okay, let's, let's change this up a little bit because people are going to, you know, and... and they did, like you said. People are taking things from this movie and, and parroting it as, a, as you know, facts or whatever. Mm. All these years later, when it's like, this is just stuff to you know, drive a point home or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's it's like all just part of him just being like this kind of just idiot who just doesn't care about any. He's like he represents just like a, this like super hyper masculine nihilist, you know. Yeah, yeah. he represents obviously the narrator just no longer giving a shit about anything and he's now, you know, meeting this person in the plane who's actually him. And I think that also kind of gets the whole things going over people's heads, uh, gets into Roger Ebert, his review about this movie and mm-hmm. how um I think I agree with him where he he really liked it, the beginning especially, and then he talks about how the whole point of it, the whole parody of it, the whole critique on on masculinity and and capitalism, just I, it, I think most people miss the point of that in this movie sure. for yep. sure. And I, I think that it actually like, uh, I do sort of agree with Rosie if if she had said this <laughs> after the movie came out that that people did like it did maybe some damage like more than it should yeah. have because people just didn't get it you know yeah mm-hmm. um, and because there's even now like a lot of these like you know. Uh, white supremacist neo-Nazi uh, groups are, have their own fight clubs like where they go and they yeah. fight in people's basements like these hyper hyper masculine neo-Nazi people that are now you know uh, prominent unfortunately in yeah, our yeah. <laughs> I mean I, I'm all about like backyard wrestling Sure. sure. Set up yeah. a set up a yeah. set up a lawn chair. I love yeah. a good cat Scott, fight. Scott yeah. and I grew up in Montana. We got it. Yeah, we yeah. understand. Yeah. <laughs> but those yeah, those are just dumb, you know. Do you remember when we were walking to precinct one night when we parked on that street and walking by is it was it uh what bar do we always walk by? On the way to Oh and uh, we, yeah. And we saw Let's, a full out yeah. cat fight that ended up in the middle of the street. On Hill Street in downtown. And LA. that's the first time I've ever seen two girls just like go at it and just being like, Oh my god. Like they are they are really they like the they're girl. really in the street yeah. fighting each yeah. other. And they're being <laughs> broken apart by their boyfriends. Yeah. I've seen that happen on the subway before and I always just like wonder like what what brought us to this mm-hmm. moment like what happened you know yeah i always yeah. want to know the backstory for sure yeah <laughs> I, yeah and i just feel like there are certain things in this movie that like you know when he says okay i'm gonna give you homework assignments and they keep escalating in yeah. like severity but one of the earlier ones is like pick a fight with a stranger you know and that scene is played for laughs and you laugh you know it's like oh he's spraying water on the priest and you know the priest mm-hmm. like yeah goes and pushes them and it's cute and funny and all that but it's like yeah how many people are just like oh yeah dude 
I'm going to go do that. <laughs> I'm going to go do that this weekend. And those homework assignments are supposed to serve as a way to like make a bunch of these men like reach their breaking points too so that they join yeah. this fight club. Like that priest is like trying to like not escalate because he's obviously he's a priest and then yeah. eventually he starts to like punch this guy. Yeah. And I think it's implied that that priest probably joined the fight joined club, up, you know. Yeah. And I think that's a big cuz the movie as it goes on the fight club starts to grow and grow and then he starts to just meet people in random places who are like they like whisper like I think you're great you know like they, they know who he is like the bartender name. with the halo <laughs> yeah. oh my god to this day I laugh every time yeah. I'm just like really dude the freaking halo and he's back it's like his bow tie just like washing yeah. glasses just polishing glasses <laughs> I mean it is called out by Ed, Ed, Mor- Ed Norton that this is this shit is crossing a line yeah, mm-hmm. that scene, because uh, obviously, like, Ed Norton gets into it and is, like, loving the Fight Club. It's this outlet for him. And then there's that scene where they, uh, Tyler Durden is going to kill the gas station attendant. Like, he yeah. just is going to go shoot him in the back of the head. And, of course, he eventually doesn't because he brings him, he, he sort of recruits him in a way where he's, like, asking what he went to school for or wanted to go to school for and things like that. That's, I, I think that's, like, the first scene where we see Ed Norton start to, regret yeah. to really question it yeah, yeah he's yeah. like he's like mm-hmm. what are we doing like, why are we doing this yeah and then that sort of brings us into where he's starting to really just question all of it and then you know questioning tyler's existence in general <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah um what oh my god what was i gonna say i totally had a fart there's a lot of uh like urban legends or like theories around this movie too like whether even marla is real or not or like, um, like I've never he, heard that. Yeah, there there was one I read about uh, about how like they think Marla is also just in his mind, like that she represents another part of his mind that he just hadn't like acknowledged yet. Yeah, Do you see Marla I, interact with anyone that's not Ed Norton? Just the Fight Club guys that like kidnap her. Oh sure, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And there is that scene when we first meet Marla. Where they're walking out of the support group and she's walking across the street. And yeah, the I love that scene. Just like, yeah. It's like she yeah. like isn't even there, you know. They're honking though, like, I think. That's true. They are honking, yeah. I think maybe it's supposed to just be like she doesn't care. Yeah, you know? yeah. <laughs> it's like she's just like whatever. David Fincher yeah. talks about on the commentary when he was directing that scene. And he's just like, yeah, just walk out in the traffic. The cars are going to, they know what to do. They're going to stop. And he said that Helena just did it. Didn't even at like didn't even question it like she just oh walked out in the street oh, wow. like walked off that curb <laughs> and he said that he could sort of hear all of the shit on her jacket and stuff just sort of hitting cars oh and just god. being like oh my god like she I did just it assumed it was all digital because mm-hmm. there's so much digital in this movie the yeah, bus is probably yeah. digital I'm shocked it wasn't a stunt double yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I like that. I like that idea that that like he kind of conjured Marla as well. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the um, subliminal imagery in the movie was just like, oh, shocking! Like, grab your pearls. That shit is like, <laughs> was that a giant dick? <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, there's the feel of the, the like freeze frames that just kind of pop up in a few of the, the scenes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's only really in the first like 15 minutes of the movie. Yeah, yeah. Before yeah. they formally introduce him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then they show the dick at the end. Yep, <laughs> <laughs> right before the credits. Um, and it's way longer than one frame. 
Mm-hmm. Not that I counted. <laughs> Not that you paused and then like, <laughs> we're hitting the frame button on the remote. Yeah. Frame forward. <laughs> I think it was seven times. No. Yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah, yeah, I think after I watched this, I I definitely um, I think I still like this movie, but I like I was saying earlier, I I don't know that I. It is frustrating that people didn't get it because yeah. I think that it did. It maybe fomented a lot more of that culture than would have been there otherwise. Uh, yeah, it's, it's it's kind of like um, we're also in the era of South Park and stuff when this was out, like mm-hmm. in the big era of South Park. Yeah, and I think that it it justified a lot of people to like be like, oh, like beating the shit out of each other is cool because they didn't actually understand what the directors and producers were trying to do, you know? Yeah, totally. Um, and then, you know, I do, I listen to, we listen to a bit of the commentary and just kind of, I, I can watch it and just think like, okay, uh, maybe they're laying on the whole like consumerism thing, like a little thick, like the, you know, when they go in and they, um, demagnetize all the tapes like what that's like in, in the video store like what's like demagnetizing copies of alien gonna do for your cause <laughs> yeah, you know yeah, exactly. it's like just like kids just want to like rent movies man like what the hell like you're just fu- like oh yeah you're really sticking it to the man by like i guess it's like entertainment and the movie industry and all that stuff but it's just like i don't know to me and again it's not a critique of the movie just this is what the characters are doing but i'm just saying like how is that like disrupting anything that's just like ruining people's evenings right yeah and it's like especially with renting stuff you're not creating more trash yeah renting a movie in fact it's it's better for the environment to just have people renting movies rather than buying Mm -hmm. them and stuff you know absolutely Uh, and like and that's a consumerism is all about like buying things you shouldn't and you're not really buying anything you're just renting a movie yeah 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 yeah. so some of the things i'm like all right calm down what are we supposed to do just like sit at home and like read you know like encyclopedias (laughs) (laughs) now you're supposed to go to someone's basement and beat the crap out of each other yeah yeah. (laughs) i guess so maybe we'll start one of those no yeah Um, don't do that don't do that no and kind of when you look at Ed Norton's journey in this movie and people that kind of misinterpret this movie, that Ed Norton's character is kind of liberated by Tyler at the end. That he does shoot himself in the mouth. That he does sort of, like, sever his connection to this character. And it ends on this very moving moment where he's making this connection with Marla as they're seeing the buildings go up. That Uh it does leave him that he's having this very intimate moment with this woman too that i think it's one of the most moving images of the entire movie that he does sort of make this connection to her that he made this journey and he is holding marla's hand at the end of it yeah and he realizes that tyler durden was like that he loves marla and that he you know needed to get tyler out of his mind in order for him Mm -hmm. to keep loving marla but i don't think that it I mean, it obviously doesn't mean that he's going to stop doing what he was doing because he just blew up all the major credit card companies in the world and probably caused (laughs) a financial crisis, you know? And so I think that he also doesn't care. I I do think that it's supposed to be like, yeah, he has now admitted that he loves this woman, they're going to be together, but he also doesn't 
he's he's become the nihilist Tyler Durden. Yeah, he's he's kind of absorbed Tyler Durden in a way to where Tyler doesn't need right. to exist anymore. God, that scene is so brutal when he shoots himself. In the, it, it, yeah, like, yeah, so brutal. It's crazy. <laughs> it's 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 crazy. And that's another thing too that like digital technology of like getting to this point where they're able to like reproduce mm-hmm. effectively. You know, like a person. You know, and all that stuff. Um, I want to talk a little bit about. You know, we we're talking about Tyler and the narrator having this relationship in in the house where there was this domestic relationship for a short moment in the movie but then you know when marla eventually does come to the house and the narrator sees like oh they fucking right he sees like condoms in the bath in the toilet and and he hears it and all that stuff and you know for a straight character like the narrator to see that and have these feelings of jealousy right and to have these feelings of jealousy when he sees tyler kind of reach out to angel face right and you know for me as like a gay kid and i was i was out to my friends at that point in college when i saw the movie um, but it was one of those things where I was like, I was out, but I was never like seeing anybody and it was just like, eh, I'm, the, I'm, the, I'm the gay friend, you know, <laughs> but I never really got to like, uh, like exhibit it at all. Right. But I definitely could understand those feelings of jealousy when yeah. you had guy friends and they would get a girlfriend or they would get another friend that they, you know, were more friendly with or whatever. And I don't know, maybe straight guys kind of seeing that and just kind of like relating to those emotions of Mm -hmm. like jealousy toward, you know, with another male friend of theirs. Yeah. 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 No, I I could definitely see that from that scene for sure. I I mean, not like there is the jealousy probably of just like this person's having sex and I'm not, but also like, like Tyler was like, yeah, before that happens, he's like sort of his best friend. He's Mm -hmm. always hanging out with him. He hates Marla. Marla's the one who's infringing upon all of his, like these liberating support groups he's going to. And then she, she calls up and then Tyler answers or like picks up the phone after, after the narrator goes away. And then she's like, they're just having a good old time in that house. And yeah, that yeah. scene where he goes it's, to like knock on the door and Tyler Durden, like, I think he asks him if he wants to join or something. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And like that, that I thought about that too, where there's, there's a sense, I think that viewers may have had a sense of jealousy there, or they can relate to the jealousy of like yeah. losing a friend because they're, or their friend is like having sex with this person that they secretly love, but they just haven't admitted to this themselves yet. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, those scenes though, and it's interesting because I kind of remember this movie of like showing so much of Brad Pitt's body. And yeah, it, it does. It does show a lot it of his does, body, yeah. but you really only see you his get like butt. a you get like a handful of money shots, and you just co- sort of get that ass shot. Yeah, um, <laughs> you really only see his butt when he flies off the bike. But mm-hmm. that scene when he opens the door and yeah. the camera is like so low <laughs> on his butt, you're just like holy. Woo. Shit. There is there is quite the V happening there. Yeah. For sure. yes. And yeah. why is he wearing that like uh black rubber glove mm-hmm. that like uh who's who's the little animated uh the little Nicktoon? He's he's a mad scientist guy. Dexter's laboratory? Sex. Yes, he's sure. wearing this <laughs> He's wearing this Dexter's laboratory fucking glove and Marla in the background is falling off the bed. Yeah. yeah, just like woo, she's just spent. That shit is hilarious. 
like yeah, it's, it's so pretty, crazy. It's pretty wild. Yeah. So I wild. almost think do you think that was just like uh you know what would be funny of when he opens up like the door is let's just let's just like put him in something real like really stupid. <laughs> yeah. Like a, a clown costume or something. Yeah. yeah. Oh my god. Yeah. She falls off the bed and she what does she say? She says I found the cigarettes. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and leading up to that scene too, it's like a montage of, of Ed Norton just like trying to like read a book or something and they're mm-hmm. just screaming upstairs mm-hmm. like at all all hours of the day. <laughs> the sex moan noises are ridiculous but oh so God. funny. Yeah. Because she is she is just like giving everything like yep. with these screams. Yep. I can't. I that can't. was probably a fun that. that was probably a fun afternoon in like the ADR booth. Yeah, just looping all this crazy. <laughs> yeah, <ass>. seriously. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, it's it's very it's interesting because, you know, the this movie is so like hyper masculine on one end, but it also does have I don't know, it has these little moments in there that kind of I don't know if they're built in to like have just like straight guys to examine certain things or certain feelings that they may have, you know, cause it's like, why does he get so pissed off at Jared Leto and yeah. Mm-hmm. And like break his face because mm-hmm. Tyler, because Tyler is like talking to him, you know, he's the pretty new best friend. Yeah. yeah right before that happens, the scene that he gets mad at him, they, like Tyler tells him to come with him instead of Ed Norton. Mm-hmm. When usually he was doing that with Ed Norton. And so that, that kind of makes him, yeah, he get, yeah, he gets jealous and that's why he beats the crap out of him. Yeah. yeah. There's also that scene in the bus where they see the, the naked model, I think it's yeah. like an Estee Lauder ad or something like that. Mm-hmm. And I think Tyler Durden says like, is that what a man's supposed to look like? I mean, and, it kind of looks like what Brad Pitt looks like. Yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. And, and they would have had to have known when filming that scene that it was very, like, there just has to be, like, a sense of irony when directing that scene. That oh, yeah. clearly you're seeing, the, like, what Brad Pitt looks like. <laughs> that yeah, he has, sure. like, materialized this underwear model for his imaginary best friend. Yeah, and I think that that scene was so intentional of just like that yeah this is what like when when men a lot of men think of masculinity especially when they're like dealing with a, a, a mental crisis an internal crisis where a lot of them do especially at that at young ages like that's what they think is like the standard that they're setting for themselves is this like this adonis look this model who can like mm-hmm. be on a bus ad yeah mm-hmm. this brad pitt character in the 1990s i mean the gay community can definitely relate to that yeah, I mean, that the mm-hmm. gay community is, is constantly doing that. And there's yep. tons of people who, like, have... There's, like, a lot of body shame. There's a lot of a mm-hmm. lot of that happening, for sure. Because is, even if they won't admit it, like, that is that is what the ideal a lot of them are achieving, is that they're, they want to be this, like, you know, Brad Pitt and Fight Club look, for sure. Mm-hmm. I blame so, Brad. Yeah, it's his fault. <laughs> I blame him for all of it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Fat phobia. Thanks, Brad. Yeah, definitely. A lot of fat phobia in the gay community, for sure. <laughs> yeah, I did think that it would have been kind of clever if... Because you don't see the model's face in that particular bus ad. So I did yeah. think it would have been clever if if it was Brad. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. they should have just had Brad pose for that. 
and yeah, just that like would have been kind of, of amazing. Yeah. And like a lot, like him with long hair or something. Yep. Yeah, yeah, just like because I think you do see kind of like longer hair in it. But yeah, just put him in a wig and just like. Yeah, right? it's, I feel, it's yeah. cut off like right at the shoulders mm-hmm. or something. Yeah, yeah. yeah, headless, headless torsos. Right? I mean, right, we can yeah. all we're we can all, all relate to those. Yes, <laughs> yes. The gays know all about those. <laughs> mask for mask. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mask for mask. Yep. Yeah, Jim, Jim mirror selfies. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Yes. My favorite part of headless torsos is when you look at the grid and it's a headless torso and then right above it is someone's head. Sure. And it kind of matches up. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> it's like yeah, those, that is pretty good. It's like those old like fashion plate mm-hmm. like toys. Did you ever play with those fashion plate sure. toys? Yep. Where you slide it around. Yeah. And put the yeah. paper on it and like stencil. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, speaking, yeah, yeah. <laughs> speaking of fashion plates, I have in my notes, Brad Pitt is a metrosexual paper doll because he's wearing <laughs> something different in every single scene. That's like, okay, what are we going to dress Brad in in this scene? What are we going to dress him in this scene? What kind of cute top are we going to match with these, like, leather pants? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I think, like like I said earlier, I think it's supposed to just be, he's supposed to just be this, like, wacky clown because he just doesn't Mm -hmm. care. He, like, has, he just is, like, the freest man in the world, in the the Fight Club world, of course. But also, I think it's, uh, like, he's just, he's in the narrator's mind the whole time. So it's just what the narrator is just putting on him at any given yeah. moment. So he's just constantly changing wardrobe. Yeah. yeah. I mean, sure. he's just styled like he's always doing like a fashion shoot for like GQ magazine or something. Yeah. Not even GQ. Yeah, yeah. It's a little bit more like details, rave, rave culture, rave culture. Sure. Yeah. Um, he's like the, he's the share Horowitz of this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, I do like, uh, kind of the progression though. Cause as it gets towards the end of the movie, the outfits do get a little bit more, kooky yeah yeah, right? yeah they do like, for sure they get a little punk especially when he shaves his head yeah yeah mm-hmm. some yeah. of the some of the sunglasses though i was like i would wear those today yeah <laughs> yeah and i think those you i saw those sunglasses a lot back in in the mm-hmm. early ni- or late 90s early 2000s for sure yeah, yeah those were those were on par definitely yeah the first ones that he wears are kind of like a more stylized aviator mm-hmm. and i was like i almost wish that it was just like a classic ray-ban aviator but i think they may have tried it and it might have looked a little hunter s thompson sure yeah and his character is so hunter yes. s thompson yeah it would have yeah. been too much for sure yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah yeah. so they went with the little like more sleek like a smaller aviator mm-hmm. but then he had like the big like big huge plastic oversized you know ones which i really like they're like red yeah i like those giant, you know? uh what yeah. are your favorite uh items of clothing Garments that Brad wears From in the movie. Tyler? I like Brad's crazy coat at the end of the movie in the that's parking garage. Too. I yeah, like yeah, that. The, the, yeah. It's like the feather one, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, yeah, that was my favorite one too. Um, also, when he uh, shoots the van, I remember that being in every single TV spot at the yeah. time. And yeah. uh, I also really like the crop uh, hustler, like mesh crop top <laughs> yeah. that he has. I think that was my other favorite one too, just because that one was like the most. I said when he like has no clothes on at all, it's the most revealing one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say my favorite outfit is when he's wearing just the glove. The scene with Marla, yeah. <laughs> when you just Google Tyler Durden and do an image search, it's all the red leather jacket. All the red leather jacket yeah. shirt. Mm-hmm. Iconic. Yeah, that is definitely the iconic. Look. I like the, the T-shirt. Pack. I like the blue T-shirt that he has under the red leather jacket yeah but he also has kind of like a hawaiian looking mm-hmm. shirt and yep. you know in one scene um yeah 
I do I do really like the crazy coat from from the last from from the last scene. It's a little <laughs> so huge. Yeah. Yeah. But um I want to see like a paper doll book mm. of what Brad wears in this movie. Yeah, I would I would buy that for sure. <laughs> yeah, all, I mean also Marla's looks too. Like I mm-hmm. like her big kind of fur, you know, coat like affair that she's wearing in the last scenes of the movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, all of her clothes. I mean, all of her looks in general in this movie are so good. Yeah. 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 Her, her hair especially. Yeah, I was just going to say I the hair, hair is I didn't remember it just being so short. I always remember the little tiny top knot <laughs> little ponytail which is yeah. like oh my god. I think Helena Bonham Carter just does that to her hair like sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Naturally. Yeah. She's no stronger to wearing something kooky. On the yeah. red carpet. Yeah. We should yeah. also give a shout-out to this coffin designer. It is Michael Kaplan, and Michael Kaplan, Pete, did the costumes for Blade Runner. Oh, cute. Oh. He did Blade Runner, Flashdance, um, Clue, oh. Big Business. Okay. Oh, my what? God. He did Big Business. <laughs> oh. Iconic. And then, yeah, he's had a working relationship with Brad Pitt because he did Seven. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. Yeah, well, I can totally see. Yeah, that makes sense for sure. Like, especially or, Blade Runner, yeah. I guess a, a yeah. working relationship with both David Fincher, Fincher and Brad Pitt. Yeah, yeah. Sure, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Interesting. Well, we're definitely going to have to... We're going to come up with some sort of a Tyler Durden kind of a slideshow to show off some of our favorite fits and fashions. Mm-hmm. Yes. From, yeah. <laughs> and it's one of those things that, like, we're straight guys doing that, like, dissecting everything that Brad Pitt is wearing. Yeah. Probably not. Yeah, subconsciously. I think, uh, but definitely not as outward as we are. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think it's still probably to this day a big, you know, big Halloween costume for straight guys. Just like I'm gonna do a Tyler Durden look. Oh, I saw a lot of Tyler Durdens in in undergrad at Halloween yeah. parties for sure. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And I think just like that leather jacket, just kind of was immortalized in this movie, and I think guys were just on the hunt for something. Mm-hmm. For something similar. I mean, all of the thrift store finds in this, I mean, that's like the holy grail of, like, yeah. thrift store finds. Yeah. Definitely. Good luck sure. finding that leather jacket in this city now. Yeah. Yeah, no <laughs> way. Maybe on consignment, but... All right, so what have we What have we missed so far in, uh, in our analysis of, <laughs> of Fight Club? We haven't gotten too uh, too dry with uh, with our like critical analysis, which I like, mm-hmm. you know, because yeah, yeah. you can definitely make you know uh, a conversation about Fight Club very you know clinical. Yeah, definitely, and I I think also you can make it like critical to the point where you're like, this movie was awful or whatever, which is what yeah. people said about it a lot, as including the producers, but they had you know uh, one reason why they didn't like it. But or not the producers, right. the the, t- the execs. But right. I think yeah, I I I like I was saying earlier. I agree with kind of Roger Ebert's analysis at the time, where like it was a a good movie, and I think if you get the like, I think that their message was. I, I obviously agree with their message that toxic masculinity is is bad. Yeah. <laughs> but like, I and that men like need to like learn how to deal with their emotions instead of uh, becoming violent. I think there's a yeah. lot of messages like. I, when I was watching it this week, I think there's a lot of messages around that Fight Club is trying to do that are just so much more relevant even now. Oh, absolutely! With yep. like incels and stuff like that. Yes. Like instead of yes. like instead of being like, "Hey, maybe it's me that's 
that's the common denominator here is like, no, it's women's fault. Yeah, like, absolutely. I'm going to stop caring. I'm going to be this like nihilist and just be angry all yeah. the time. And yeah, I, I, I just think that that message was lost, unfortunately, among yeah. a lot of people that, that this movie got a cult following around. Well, you know, you bring up a good point because nowadays I feel like this is happening a lot with movies and I always bring it back to, um, I care a lot. Mm-hmm. With, sure. You know, people not really wrapping their minds around satire and film. Yeah. Too. I yeah. care a lot. Got a lot of shit. People saying it's a bad movie. I don't like it. This character is so unlikable. Like, why should I be following these awful yeah. people? But the thing is, the movie wasn't bad. The characters were bad people, but that doesn't mean the the movie is bad. You know, it was a it was not a poorly made movie. It was a, it was well made. You know, very interesting, yeah. very insightful. But I think people were not able to distance themselves from not liking what they're doing in the movie or not liking the character, and therefore to them it was bad. Right? Yeah, or not fully the- grasping the industry, like, and I care a lot, and like the healthcare industry that that is parody or that's that's kind of a social satire for. Yeah. They're not really fully grasping what they're trying to say in that social satire. Yeah, that they're taking too much at face value. Yeah, they're they're missing like the the point because they're just like oh like I don't want to like within fight clubs it's just like I don't want to see blood I don't want to yep. see people beating the shit out of each other when it's yep. like you know I mean this movie's rated R what did you expect yeah, <laughs> like, yeah totally <laughs> and yeah, not that like yeah. you know I uh, I don't like love violence obviously but it's like this this movie was about like how like violence is bad like it, mm-hmm. that was the whole point yeah. it's a parody of it but people took it as like glorifying it and unfortunately i think people took it glorifying it as a critique and also people took it as like this movie is so cool because it's so violent you know yes yeah that was the point they got from it so i can see both sides of that argument for me i definitely think it was a good movie but it's also because you know I, the point of it is great like yeah and we i think it's more relevant now than it has been since it was made yeah, yeah absolutely and you know rewatching it for the podcast, I haven't sat down and watched all of Fight Club in many years, and mm-hmm. I think it really held up. You know, yeah. Um, I yeah. mean, all of David Fincher's movies are pretty impeccably directed too. It helps that when you have a filmmaker that talented doing a movie like yeah. this, that it goes down so much easier. Yeah, and there was nothing in it that like. It's a lot of these movies, especially movies from like the '90s. Like, there's they say things where you're just like, "Ooh," you know, and that yeah. doesn't really happen that much in this movie. I didn't really notice anything that I can think of anyway. There might have been, but um, that but it's a, but if there was, it's all in the service of the it's satire. In the universe. Yeah, in the, universe the, the satire and the story. Exactly. Sure. Yeah, 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 that's true. So, yeah. and if you're gonna be turned off by like, you know, oh, we're laughing at like a cancer support group or whatever, but it's like. Yeah. It's it's clearly supposed to it. be yeah. a crazy scene too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. It's it's meant to be like a satire. It's also just like this movie could be classified as like a dark comedy too. Yeah. Oh yeah, ways. definitely. Yeah, and that's yeah. And that is absolutely part of that for sure. Yeah. Yeah. The movie's most successful scenes is when it really leans into that too. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um do you have any other favorite David Fincher movies? Like anything that uh, in his filmography that really stands out that you like? I am going to look at the list again because I do I did look at the list uh, when I first watched this and there's a few that I do like still for sure um, 
I was I was interested in that quote that you mentioned earlier, Scott. About he was like, "I'm shocked that I got any work." <laughs> you know, <laughs> I don't know if that how... was like a, di- a direct quote, but he more or less says that. Yeah, 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 yeah. right, right. Yeah, um, I you know I liked Panic Room. Didn't didn't uh, mind that movie. I like Panic he Room. Also, mm-hmm. He also did uh, Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, that was a good one. About that. Oh, he did Curious Case of Benjamin Button. Which I'm also I'm kind I'm kind of a defender of Curious Case of Benjamin Button. I think it's yeah. really well made. Sure, yeah, I, I think it's a good movie for sure. I think uh, Seven is a nearly perfect movie too. I have not seen that movie in so. Seven's long. great. Yeah, yeah, that's a good movie for sure. Um, he did Alien Three. I don't uh, think that David Fincher really likes to talk about Alien Three. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, he also directed House of Cards, the 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 show. Yeah, I think he produced House of Cards too. Mm-hmm. Mm, oh. Yeah. He did. Um, he did Madonna's Vogue. He had a long working relationship with Madonna. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, he did a a uh, Aerosmith song. He did. Uh, those are all the ones that I kind of recognize. I think out of what he's done. Yeah. Zodiac holds up. Zodiac is amazing. We just uh, revisited yes. that a few months mm-hmm. ago, and I really like Gone Girl too. I think Gone Girl is a really well made movie. I agree. Yeah, I like Gone Girl. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. For the yeah. Ty- for like material that you would not really peg as a David Fincher movie, I think he does a really great job with mm-hmm. that book yeah. and the script. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I, that's another movie I haven't seen in a long time. I think that came out in 99 as well. Gone Girl? Gone Girl. I think so, yeah. No, Gone Girl came out, like, year. in 2014. Oh, wait, that's 2014. Yeah, you're right. You're right, yeah. Yeah, I was like, you're thinking of something I else. Was think, I was thinking of, yeah, I was thinking of something else, for I sure. think The Panic Room was his follow-up to Fight Club, too. Yeah, it was. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was uh, 2002, yeah. And Fight and uh, Panic Room had a very long, turbulent production, too, that they went through, like, they went from... Nicole Kidman to Jodie yeah. Foster. They had to recast the daughter to Christian Stewart. That there was just very complicated like shots in that movie that took them way longer in production than they had thought. It went a little over budget, but um, I think it holds up. Yeah, I think it's a great movie for sure. I haven't I haven't seen that movie in a few years, but I would watch it again definitely. Mm-hmm. What about you, Pete? Um, gosh, I feel like I really like. Gone Girl, like you said. Mm-hmm. Um, I do like Seven a lot. Yeah. But I think it's got to be uh, the Vogue video. Oh, yeah. Oh, <laughs> so yes. good. Yes. That's got to be my, my favorite work of David yes. Fincher. Yeah. I mean, his, it, his gayest work. I mean, yeah, that has absolutely. to just get David Fincher like a good round at a bar that he directed Vogue. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I'd, yeah. I'd buy him a shot. Like, right drinks for life. Yeah. Drinks for yeah. life at the Eagle. <laughs> oh, man. But yeah, I mean, Fight Club, it's uh, not immediately a movie that you would think that um, would fit well with th- our show and the subject matter of movies that made us gay. But uh, ultimately, I think... It's just it so really hyper-masculine that it kind yeah. of does. Yeah, yeah mm-hmm. I think it does, too. I think it's a great like critique of sexuality in general. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, Fragile masculinity, too, that... Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, or how, how sexuality is in this country, especially with uh, with fragile masculinity, especially yes. in 2021. Yes, mm-hmm. totally, yeah. totally. Yeah, good. I mean, I, I kind of felt like, oh, my God, Fight Club, we're going to be talking about this for three hours. <laughs> I mean, we made this into like a very like tidy ninety minute episode. Yeah, I was, this wasn't bad at all. I was we kinda... hit we hit all the major bullet points of it. Yeah, yeah. 
But um, but yeah, I mean, this was a lot of fun though talking about this movie. Thank yeah, you for definitely. coming on, man. Thank you for having me, for yeah. sure. Yeah, I'm sensing sort of a theme with your episodes now of just yeah. sort of <laughs> when we, when we decided mm-hmm. Fight Club and I was watching Fight Club, and I was like, there's so much like Matrix feeling in this movie. That I'm just like, okay, I can see that there's a theme going on here for sure. Yeah, Yeah, totally. Oh, man. But, um, yeah, this was was really great. Thanks again for coming on, man. We got to have you on again for something else. Mm -hmm. uh, Let me know. Yeah, we'll keep you in the books. (laughs) Thanks, y'all. But, yeah, until then, we'll see you next time. See you later. Bye. Bye. And thank you so much for listening, everybody. Thanks so much. Thanks so much. This was a lot of fun. And this shit is going up in a mere hours. Yeah, man. You guys You're are getting like, this hot this off of... Kind of live. Mm-hmm. It's almost, <laughs> almost, almost live. live. Yep. <laughs> but uh, for all of our wonderful listeners out there, it is that time. Are you talking about Patreon shout-outs? Patreon shout-outs. Woo-woo. We've got a new patron. Chris K, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for being a friend. We would also love to say hey, hey, hello to Susan, Barry, JJ, Brandon, Layton, Shelby, Merle, Michael, Charlie, Heather, Paul, Jamie, Drew, Jimmy, Genevieve, Dawn, Josh, Emma, Millie, Aaron, Melinda, Jim, Jessica, Nick and Shannon, Christine, and Rafino. Thank you so much, everybody. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Head over to patreon.com slash movies that made us gay for a ton of new content, including Mm -hmm. watch with us commentary tracks, uh, monthly newsletters where we give great movie reviews, catch up with what we've been doing just like around town, out and about, just some fun pictures of our adventures, seeing movies, going to the drive-in. Cool, cute stuff like that. And we're going to be adding a new feature to the Patreon where we will be just giving you a rundown of new movies that we've seen in the theater. Yeah. And just some quick movie reviews. Mm-hmm. So I came up with a name for it the other day and I totally forgot. So I'll oh, no. try to remember what that name was, but it's coming to a Patreon near you. So check it out. We've got several tiers, levels of Patreon support that you can give us. So check it out and see what you like. And, uh, Make it happen. Thank you so much. Meanwhile, you can give us a review. Yes. And give us five stars on iTunes, please. Yes, indeed. Go over to Apple Podcasts if you're an Apple listener or an iPhone user and uh, hit that five star button. Smash those stars to the right. It's easy and it's free. Uh, We would love it if you would uh, subscribe on Instagram and Facebook. We are at Movies That Made Us Gay. And MTMUG pod on Twitter. Yes, indeed. You can find me. My name is Pete. I'm on Instagram and Twitter at Peter Lasagna. I'm Oscar Scott on Twitter and Scott Youngballer on Instagram and just Scott Youngballer on Letterboxd. Yes, indeed. So look us up. Find us there. Lots of extra supplemental fun. But uh, thank you so much, everybody. Once again, until next week, we'll see you. Have a great time. Bye. Bye.